But Nehemiah chapter 9, I'm going to start at verse 38, and I'm going to read um, then chapter 10, verse 1, and then drop down to chapter 10, verse 28. I'm not going to read all that genealogy stuff, but anyway, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes Levites and priests seal unto it. Now those that were sealed were Nehemiah, the Tershatha, the son of Hakaliah, and Zidkajai, Gajah, something like that. Anyway, drop down to verse 28. And of course all those in between, but verse 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, and the thinims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. That's key. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgments and his statutes, that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Also we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel uh, for, the sanctuary, ser- for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread and for the continual meat offering, for the continual burnt offering, of the Sabbaths and of the new moons, for the set feasts and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. So the title of the message tonight is The Case for Bible Standards. The Case for Bible Standards. Let's pray and we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to study it and I pray that we'd study and gain knowledge and understanding into thy word that we might be able to apply it to our lives for our good and for thy glory that we might be a witness and testimony of the holiness of our God and his majesty. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So to consider this, I want you to draw your attention to two verses, verse 38 and then verse 1. It says, Because of all this we made a sure covenant, and write it. And our and our princes, Levites and priests, seal unto it. Now those that were sealed were, and it gives a list. Now the word seal or sealed means to enter into or to covenant. Not enter into, you know, it talks about them, they made a sure covenant. So to covenant with and attest by a seal. You know, a Bible seal was like a stamp. It was an identifying uh, sign. You know, kings would, would, would put their seal or their stamp on a letter. And, and, and you know, it was illegal, of course. And, you know, you're risking your life if you broke the king's seal on a letter that wasn't addressed to you. It was a sign of ownership and a sign of, it's really a sign of attesting to. So that they attested this, what they had just covenanted together, 
by a seal. Uh, <clears throat> you know, a standard, uh, and, and it makes me think of the standard sheet. Uh, you know, we, really what we're doing is covenant together and with a signature attesting to it. Kind of the same idea. In fact, dictionary.com describes a standard as, quote, something considered by an authority or by general consent as a basis of comparison, an approved model. Or, another definition was, which is very similar, a rule or principle that is used as a basis for judgment. That's really what a standard is. It's, it's a rule that's used as a basis for judgment, or it's con- considered an authority. So, of course, our rule, our approved model is the word of God. That's our rule. Uh, you know, that, it says that in our constitution, that we, the Bible is our rule of authority. Uh, and and so, so that is our rule or approved model. That is the word of God. That's our standard. That is our standard. You know, the world has standards. You know, the world has standards. I was just reading something today about in an old paper I used to get from a a former pastor who's retired now from Texas, and, and he used to put out a little paper, and there's an article in there by a, another guy, and he was saying how he went to a prison, um, I think it was a juvenile prison, and so he, he walks in, and he goes, goes to, through a door, and he said there's this sign right there, very apparent, and it said that uh, inappropriate dress will not be tolerated, and it listed some things. And he said, I asked, or it listed what that, it didn't say, I'm sorry, it didn't say inappropriate dress. It said, you know, uh, no halter tops, uh, uh, no without bras, no, no shorts, no, you know, just give a list of no, no this and no that. And so he asked the, the attendant about the sign, and the attendant said this, inappropriate dress causes problems. You know what? That was a standard. That was their standard. And it was a world that put that there. It wasn't, you know, some fundamental Bible-believing Baptist preacher that come up with that sign. You know, they, they under, the world understands, much of the world understands that inappropriate dress causes problems. Well, if, you know, if you'd read the Bible, you'd realize that too. Uh, so it's a standard. Everybody has a standard. They just don't put them all in the same place. So... And we need to have our standards, of course. We need to have a rule by which we base our standards on. I want to give you several things about standards tonight. First of all, what they are not. What they are not. Number one, Bible standards are not rules made up by some man by which he rules his own house. You know? In fact, Nehemiah chapter 10, here verses 28 and 29, it says this, And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, and the thinims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they claved to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his judgments and 
His statutes. You know, there of course there are many in the world of Christendom, quote-unquote, that would say that standards are, you know, just legalist rules that people make up to uh, make life miserable for you and difficult and, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, you know, people do this to think they're, they're better than other people. And, you know, I remember... Charles Swindoll wrote a book called Grace Awakening, basically said in there that, you know, it's all of grace, and it doesn't really matter how you live. You know, standards are just killjoy. And, and, but you know, the interesting thing is, I've heard him on the radio quite a few times when I was younger. You know, he had standards about drinking. I don't know how he wrote that book. To me, it's hypocritical. He even had standards about Jehovah's Witnesses. I heard him say one time, and he was preaching on the radio, that you know he, the Jehovah's Witnesses come by his house, and he went out in the porch to meet them, and he told them not to bother coming to his house again, and he told them not to go to the next house, and the next house, and the next house. And his daughter said to him, Dad, that's, that's kind of nasty. He said, well... Bible says not to bid them in your house. Now, that's a misapplication of 2 John. It's talking about the house of God. It's not really talking about your personal house. But, but the point is, he had a standard. He was pushing a standard. But, you see, to push, to, to say the Bible teaches standards of dress and music and all this kind of thing that we would say the Bible does, he would say we were legalists. Or we're just, we just make them up. No, the Bible says here that all these laws that Israel had were of God. They were God's laws. They were His commandments. They're His judgments. And you know, a lot of people say, well, we throw out all that law, do we? What did Jesus say about the law of the New Testament? He not only quoted the law, He strengthened it and said that if you violate the spirit of the law, you're in danger of sin. You know, the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. The law says, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry with him, brother, you're in danger of judgment. So he didn't make the law null and void. The law is still the commands of God for life. And, of course, there's many other things that are given to us in the Bible. And so, and, and then notice verse 32. There's an interesting statement here. It says, Also, we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Notice it says, We made for ourselves. Now, what they're doing here is they know, you know, God had commanded there was to be money put forward to supply the needs for the house of worship, the tabernacle at this time, and well, the temple at this time, and to provide for the priests and the Levites and, and, and the offerings and all those things off of which the, the priests lived and how they, how they made their living and provided for their houses 
Otherwise, they'd have to leave and go to their fields and, and work in the fields and forsake the temple. And, and that happened on various occasions. In fact, it's going to happen here and later on in the book of Levi because they're going to backslide. But So they said they made ordinances and they charged themselves to, to obey what God had instructed them. So they, they made it an ordinance that Every year at a certain time, they would give a shekel to the sanctuary. For why? For the worship of God. So, you know, and, the, and Jesus said in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Now, he said, these commandments are my commandments. These are my commandments. And he said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. Now, I think all of us in here have his commandments. That doesn't mean we all keep them. Because his commandments are in the Bible. And I think everybody here has a Bible. Or two, or three. Or four. But he didn't say just those that have his commandments. He says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. Yeah, we all have in this room, believe it or not, sorry Andrew, but we all have the same number of muscles. Now, we may not all be using all those muscles. But we all have them. We all have the same. We're not all exercising them the same. Therefore, all those muscles do not profit us the same. See, it's he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. And and again, these are not our standards. They're God's stance. He that hath my commandments, he said. The second thing we see here is standards, they're not a means of earning salvation or even keeping yourself safe. Now, uh, of course, there's many verses that would, would, would teach this very clearly. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 says, It's not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, but washing of regeneration, renewing the Holy Ghost. So, so standards are not a means of earning salvation or even keeping it, and yet you know, many times we're accused of being legalists. And, and I would advise you, like Brother Bob Mitchell advised me one time, when somebody accuses you of being a legalist, you, you say, define that for me. What does legalism mean? Define it. And legalism, it really means I keep certain commands or rules to earn favor or salvation with God. That's, that's legalism. No, but that's not why we have standards, as we'll see in a minute. So they are not a means of earning salvation. They don't earn us the favor of God. 
with the salvation of God or even keep us saved. You know, if you can keep yourself saved, you can earn your salvation also. And again, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's a gift of God, not of works. Thirdly, standards do not make us religiously superior to other people. Uh, you know, this was a problem in New Testament times. In fact, it's, it's a problem today. There are some that, because they have standards or cer- certain rules in life, they think they're better than other people. We're all sinners saved by grace. We all start out at the same place. Sinners, wicked and undone before a holy and righteous God. We're all on the same plane. There may be some that are further along on that plane than others, have more understanding than others, but we're all on the same plane. We're not superior to other people. In Luke 18, 9, Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted themselves they were righteous and despised others. Of course, he's there speaking about the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, Matthew 23, and verse 25 to 28, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which was in the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And so, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, just because you look good on the outside doesn't really mean anything. You can be inwardly wicked and vile. You know, I grew up amongst the Amish and Mennonites, and and you know, when I tell people that I was raised Mennonite and have Amish that are relatives that are Amish, you know, people say, "Oh, they're such good people." And my response always is, "Some of them are, but they're just like everyone else." And that's just a cloak. That's just a cloak. When I was living in that area, and I remember one lady, older, older, she was a pretty conservative Mennonite lady. You know, she had her hair up and a bonnet on and, and you know, conservative dress and knocked on the door and began talking to her about the, about the Lord and so on and so forth. And, and, and her favorite verse was... was uh, uh, I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. That's what she said over and over again. You know what I think? I think she was convinced that because she had standards, she was in good standing with God. But those standards without Christ will get you nowhere. Without repentance from sin, it'll get you nowhere. It will not get you into a relationship with God. This is what Jesus is saying here. You know, in Romans chapter 2 and verses 23 to 29, he talks about how the Jews thought they were in good standing with God because they were circumcised. And, and he goes on and says in, in Romans 2, 23 to 29, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, 
Through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written, For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keepeth the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. By the way, Paul knew what he was talking about here. Because a few years ago, he was that circumcised Jew outwardly. But he wasn't circumcised in heart. Until he was on that Damascus road. When the Lord met him. You know, you can have all the all the trappings of the appearances of Christianity outward. And it will profit you nothing without repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, standards that are only outward displays to be seen of men are sickening to God. They really are. My sister and her husband were on their, on their way to Texas, and they stopped at her house, and she has a store, has a little restaurant in it. And, of course, you know, Amish and Mennonites come in there and buy stuff. And, and um, during COVID, the Amish fought amongst themselves about what to do about COVID. And, and, she, and one of them said, you know, we're just like everyone else. We're just like everyone else. Uh, you know, again, the Amish have this, this, this appearance. And yet the, the funny thing is, it's obvious that there are a lot of them very covetous. Because they would tell jokes about, uh, uh, you, you, know how, you know how a penny came about? It's two Amish trying to stretch a piece, a piece of copper. <laughs> They're fighting over a piece of copper. Um, but anyway, so you know these outward displays, we've seen the men are sickening God. In fact, Proverbs eight or fifteen eight says, "The sacrifice of the wicked is the abomination of the Lord; prayer of the upright is his delight." Proverbs twenty one twenty seven says, "The sacrifice of the wicked is the abomination." How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? So that's that's what they are not. They're not. They're not. They do not make us religiously superior to other people. They're not a means of earning salvation. They're not some man-made, made-up rules. What are they? Well, they are fences. God directs us to put in our lives or around us to keep us from sin. You know, the Bible calls us, refers to us as sheep. A sheep or sheep without a fence will fall into every, get into every kind of trouble you can imagine. And that's what we are. Notice here, Nehemiah chapter 9 again, and verse 32. Nehemiah 9, verse 32. We see this here. You see, God's laws were fences 
for the children of Israel to protect them from the world around them, from the Canaanites that lived among them, and to protect them and keep them a pure and holy people in his sight. Chapter 9, verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the troubles seem little before thee that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. How be it? Thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments, and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Behold, so because of this, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we're servants in it. We don't even own it. It's not even ours. We're servants in our own land. Why? Because we didn't keep the fences up that you established or told us to do. We didn't keep them. We didn't keep your laws. And in verse 37 it says, And it yieldeth much increase. <laughs> but to who? Under the kings. Whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion of our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. So, you know, God had laws to protect them from sin to keep them walking in His covenant, to be a glory to the nations. Instead, they wanted to mix in with all the nations and be like all the nations and commit all the sins of all the nations and destroy their relationship with Him and His blessing. Look at First Chronicles chapter 15. First Chronicles 15. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles 15, verse 11, says, And David called for Zadok, Zadok and Abathah the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab, and said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For... Because ye did it not at the first. Now, what you think about that statement right there? Now, I've always considered that it was David who was at fault for the death of Uzzah. Remember, remember, this is the second time that they're trying to bring up the ark, the covenant, to its place. And the first time, they put it on an ox cart. And, of course, it shook, and Uzzah went out to touch it, and the Lord smote him dead. Now, Uzzah was a priest. He wasn't a high priest, but he was a priest. But David says here, For because ye did it not. Who's supposed to know how the ark is handled? 
the priests. Not David. David's not the one that's supposed to know all that. They're supposed to be telling David how it's done. And he said, you did it not. And the Lord our God made a breach upon us that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the, covenant, uh, ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, and Moses, as Moses commanded, according to the word of the Lord. So again, they were supposed to know and direct and oversee the moving of the ark of the covenant. But they didn't. They, you know, there was a shirking here of the duty of the priests the first time. And David is now challenging them, look, you didn't do it after due order. Who should oversee the teaching and application of the commandments of God in the church? You know, in the New Testament, there's a guy called an overseer. Or another name for overseer is pastor. So really, the priests were really guilty of a death. Again, as I said, Uzzah was one of the priests. He should have known also. And, and, and what we see here is the danger of something not being exercised or practiced regularly. That ark has been out of its place for 20 years. It's not been moved properly in 20 years. You know, the Philistines took it when Saul was killed. The Philistines, or, 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 uh, not when Saul was killed, um, when um, uh, Hophni and Phinehas were killed. They're the ones that took it into battle against the Philistines. And, and, and the Philistines took it then. This was before, even before Saul became king, before the days of Samuel, or during the day, just Samuel's young man still. He wasn't the leader at that time. So from that time till this, and it's been 20 years, it hasn't been in its place. If there's not continual teaching and instruction and practice of the commands of God, they will not be practiced. But, again, the Word of God, these commandments are fences that God uses to direct our lives. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against Lot. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And verse 1 and 2. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. The doctrine means teaching or sound instruction. Forsake ye not my law. Drop down to verse 6, and again he's talking about doctrine. Forsake her not, she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Verse 10, hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Verse 20, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Uh, chapter, look at chapter 6. Verse 20, <coughs> My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. 
Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. That is protection or guard thee. That's what keep means. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs are of instruction or the way of life. Hey, if you get reproved, it's instruction that will keep, will, will direct you in the way of life, not in the way of death. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, let, neither let her take thee with thine, her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious of life. You know, young people are flattered by someone of the opposite gender, and they have warm, fuzzy emotions, you know, and they just think it's Mrs. Wonderful or Mr. Mr. Prince Charming. And after they've been seduced by the bait, they're hooked on, only to discover they're not as they presented themselves. may turn out to be a loser or a louse. Yeah, that is why God gives us parents, pastors, older mature saints. You know, Titus 2 talks about the aged men that are teaching young men, the aged women to teach young women. It's not because Young people are stupid. It's just that they're more easily deceived. And they don't always see things as they really are. They're not inspective. So standards are a fence that God uses to direct, to put around us, to keep us from sin. Secondly, standards from a heart are a public display of a holy God. Standards that are from the heart, again, that shows itself, if you have standards in your heart, it'll show itself in the outer man without an attitude of superiority. So, standards from the heart are a public display of a holy God. And that's what really Nehemiah 9 and 10 are all about. They sign this saying, we're going to attest to it, we're going to covenant together to keep this, but it's going to show itself in how they live, and how they conduct themselves, and how they relate with the world. You know, one of the things they're going to do is, no longer are we giving our daughters to the heathen. And no longer are we taking the heathen daughters for our sons. We're not taking, we're not marrying unsafe people. That's an unequal yoke. And we're going to shut the gates on the Sabbath day, and we're not having them come in here and sell their wares on the Sabbath day, on God's day anymore. We're not doing it. See, these things showed themselves on the outside. You know, a holy God has standards. He had laws that govern life so that we can live holy and walk in agreement with Him and glorify Him. Look at a couple of verses here. Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light show shine before men. So something that is visible before people. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And the idea of glorifying Him is to praise highly or magnify the Lord. 
Your good works are not to magnify you. Your good works are to magnify the Lord. That's what a holy life does. You know, people sometimes, you know, we've, we've had testimony of some of you that have given in the workplace and people watch you and they see that you're a little different in a good way and they begin to ask questions. What are they seeing? They're seeing a life that's orderly, that's, you know, got itself together, <laughs> that, that, that glorifies the Lord, that has a peace about it that the world doesn't have, has a confidence the world doesn't have, and has a life that's pleasing to the Lord or praiseworthy that the world doesn't have. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And the, the idea of the presenting your bodies a living sacrifice is really yield as a public spectacle. Oh, Pastor, I don't want to be a public spectacle. I don't want to be on public display. But that's what he says. When you yield your body a living sacrifice... You're really yielding your life as a public display of the goodness and the glory of God before a lost and dying world. You know, Paul's life. In fact, he said to the Jews, you all know from my childhood what I was and now what I am. It was public. It wasn't, and you know, it wasn't public. It, was, it wasn't private. It was, it was clearly known. And that's the idea. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's something that transforms or changes us from the inside out. Again, it's not just an outward standard. It's something that's from the heart. That's what a biblical standard is. It's from the heart. You know, a couple of ladies wrote a book on women's dress, and they called it, and the subtitle was The Heart of the Matter, because it is an issue of the heart. If, it, if you have a heart surrendered, applying it won't be that big of a problem. You'll desire to do it. That's the idea. You know, and, and we've seen an example of this uh, yielding as a public spectacle in Acts chapter 3 and verse 12. And the account there is Peter and John had gone up to the temple to pray, and there was this lame man, and, and they healed, and Peter healed him. And verse 12 it says, and, when, you know, and, the, and the people all uh, ran in together into Solomon's porch and greatly wondering. And Peter says in verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people and said, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Yeah, we are the public spectacle, but it wasn't by our power, by our glory, that we made this man walk. And so Peter here is glorifying the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 20 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of God? Know you not that your body is the temple of that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, 
For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, again, you know, the Charles Swindoll crowd says, as long as you glorify God in your heart, it doesn't matter what the outside, but here it says glorify God in your body. That's the outer man. And the spirit. That's the inner man. Which are God's. Uh, so we're to display that holiness of God uh, inwardly and outwardly. Uh, it'll show in our attitudes. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and verse 12, says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the blood. Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation teaches us that to deny ungodliness and world lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. And look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> 1 Peter 2 verses 9 through 12, it says there, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar People. That word peculiar has the idea of a special group of people that you should show forth, so here's the outer display, show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So all this that we have is we got from God. Dearly beloved, I seat you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, that is your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, which are on display, glorify God in the day of visitation. So when they're faced with problems, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know who to turn to, they can look to you and say, they have something. They have something that I don't. They seem to have answers to life, to the issues of life. Day of visitation has the idea of day of judgment. When, when, when catastrophe strikes, I think I've shared this illustration before about a friend we had in Pennsylvania, Willard Carpery, was he worked on appliances. He had a neighbor across the street who's an alcoholic. He witnessed to him quite a few times, but he really didn't want anything to do with Willard and the gospel. Then he had a heart attack. He ended up in the hospital. And Willard said, the interesting thing is, he didn't call any of his drinking buddies. He called me. You see, the world knows. The world knows that who they can turn to for help in time of judgment and catastrophe. So standards from the heart are a display of the holiness of God. Thirdly, and, and finally, standards from the heart show our love for the Lord. They show our love for the Lord. John 14, 21, again, Jesus said, if, if a man, hath my, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. You know, do you love the Lord? Is the Lord manifesting himself to you 
Are you learning of him? Is he revealing himself to you? Well, if he isn't, maybe you need to ask yourself, am I obeying his commands? Am I obedient to what I know to be right in the sight of God? Because God said he'll manifest or he'll reveal himself to those that keep his commandments. But if you're not interested in what God has to say about my life, don't expect God to direct your life. He's not going to force himself on you. He directs us as we submit to him, as we obey him. There's an interesting statement in John chapter 21. Remember when disciples are going fishing. Peter said, I go fishing. And then Jesus appeared on the shore and they caught all those fish after he told them to cast the net on the right side. And then in verse 15 it says, And when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Now I have often asked myself, what are the these that Jesus referred to here? What are the these? What's present there? Well, I thought about that today. There's fish, which is food. And then there's the other disciples. As far as I know, that's the only thing, other, thing, other stuff or things that are there. And he says... Do you love me, Peter, more than these? Now, he asked them that three times. And then he really pointed him to be the pastor upon his leaving them. He told him to feed his sheep. So, Peter, do you love me more than your fleshly appetites? Will you sacrifice them for me? Do you love me more than relations or ties with friends and family. Think about it. Peter had friends there and a brother. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 14? If any man come after me and hate not his father, his mother, his brother, his sisters, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And so the Lord's asking Peter, Lord, Peter, do you love me more than these? He asked him that three times. So, you know, standards really or at evidence are showing our love for the Lord. Because if you have Bible standards in today's world, there will be those that mock you, oppose you. It's going to require that you sacrifice some of your ambitions, maybe, or your appetites, and maybe some relations. But do you love me more than these? Are you willing to give up the pleasures of life for him? Are you willing to give up the relational ties of the world for him? And he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Bible standards are the commands of God. As we shall see in the weeks to come. But the question is, do we love him? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. We thank you for the instruction it gives us. And uh, we know this instruction is given for our good, for our learning, for our edification, and also for your glory and for your honor. And I pray that you'd help us as your people uh, to obey all the commands of God and to obey what we know to be right, uh, that you might reveal yourself and manifest yourself in a greater, more glorious way day by day. Thank you again for your love and mercies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.